Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. So the next morning, Peter's in the airport. You know, everybody's bleary-eyed, blah, blah, blah. And he's looking at the London Times and all these papers. And he's thinking, oh, Sandy Lyle, you know, a UK guy wins the Open, that kind of thing. Front page of every paper is Peter's face scrunched up against some guy's (laughs) butt and other parts of his body. He literally had a perfect... The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Uh, That's the voice of Steve Sands. He will be on later to talk about Colin Morikawa. Uh, Michael Wilbon will be on later to talk about Colin Morikawa and the uh, NBA playoffs. So we're going to open the show. You've heard me talk all last week and the week before about the Columbia Girls, uh, the Columbia Country Club hosting the Junior Girls event. And and I went out there. I'll talk about me going out there at some point. But I'm I'm watching on television, and I am watching the best player in the tournament, the reigning United States women's amateur champion Rose Young. And I see somebody on the back, and I go, "Well, what what's this?" I think I called Michael. I said, "Is that Doug? Is Doug Herson on <laughs> is that the right? Your, is that your four ball partner? Is that is that <laughs> is that Doug Herson on the back?" So Doug, who has been the champion, club champion at Columbia and who grew up basically there with, with Michael, joins us now. You were caddying. Uh, you know, in my mind, I don't think this is true maybe for juniors, but, you know, golfers of a big-time quality have their own caddies who travel with them. Now, you can't do that, I guess, in the amateurs. Well, maybe you can. Maybe you can pay your caddy and, and you can have the caddy with you. But how did you, of all people, to get to caddy for how did you get the favorite and the ultimate winner rose young to put you on the bag yeah it was a it was a, a really lucky kind of uh circumstance there um so as you said you, you can't caddy you can't have a parent caddy for you in a junior event so right. normally rose has her dad caddy for her so for instance she's going she flew to france yesterday to play in the avion masters and her dad will be on the bag for her. But in junior events, you can't do that. So I think in the, in the first couple of days, uh, Saturday and Sunday, she had planned to push cart her bag. But in 95-degree weather uh, and super hilly course, she quickly realized that like, she didn't want to do that. Um, and Peter Farrell, another member that you obviously know, yeah. uh, who was the, the, the chairman, if you will, for the, the caddy program that was uh, – that they kind of had it installed to make sure that we had enough volunteer caddies and, and club caddies to caddy for the girls should they need them. On Saturday, they had about 65 confirmed, and by the end of the day, they had the need for like 85 more. Um, I was the practice chair facility going uh, practice practice facility chair going into the tournament, and so I had taken the week off, and uh, and Peter came up to me early in the week. Uh, early Saturday and said, hey, you know, I might need a, another caddy. Are you available for the week in case I need you? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to caddy for anybody. So Sunday afternoon rolls around. You know, he texts me like, hey, I need to ask you a question. Like, where are you? I was having lunch. Runs up to me in the in the, the ballroom where they were serving lunch for volunteers and players. He says, hey, can you caddy? I got a good player. Do you know who Rose Zhang is? You know, I almost choked in my food. Um, <laughs> obviously, you knowing her, she was like, the number one player in the world, you know, yeah. asking for a caddy and me possibly getting the opportunity to, I was like, of course, like, of course I would caddy for her. No, no questions asked. Like, can't wait. Okay. When was, the, when was the last time you caddied for anyone? <laughs> 
So that's, that's another good question. I, I had probably not caddied for anyone since, you know, my, my brief stint on the mini tours uh, and in college. Um, but a normal thing that we would do when we would, when we would go to tournaments, we would, you know, two of us would drive down or something. And if one of us made the cut, you know, and one of us didn't, the other one would caddy for the other one and vice versa. Um, so honestly, probably that's like 2012, 2013, where I truly caddy for anybody. So it's been quite a while. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I need to sort of set this up because it's important when you ask for a local caddy and Columbia has tens of caddies, dozens of caddies. You do that because you you anticipate that they will know the course and tell you how to play a given hole. It's tremendously high stakes here. This is the Junior Girls Championship. The story Not just show up, keep up. Right, right. You, I mean, you got to really be good at this. It, you're, you're like a catcher talking to a pitcher. It's, it's important that there's trust. I heard a story that she had no idea, not only that you golfed at all, but that you were the club champion multiple times. I heard she didn't know that. Is that true? Did you not tell her that? So, yep, I, I went in saying absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to presume or, or, you know, kind of, you know, put myself out there as like, hey, you know, I know how to play golf, so let me help you. <laughs> She's the number one player in the world, not just <laughs> girls. She's like the number one amateur in the world of all women that are not professional. So I'm not going to go out there and be like, hey, you know what? I've won this club championship a couple times, and I've shot some good scores out here. But, um, you know, it, and I, I went in there, and knowing I was like, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to essentially slow play my, my caddy experience until she feels like she needs either A, advice, or, or shows me that, you know, maybe she – is willing to take some advice. Um, so we kind of started off with just, you know, yardages, wind, slope, elevation, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that slowly kind of progressed to, you know, helping maybe club, um, you know, maybe, maybe you should hit that one instead of that one, but not, not too much of that. She knows her game so well that she was kind of like, I'm going to hit a, I'm going to hit X. And I'm like, yep, that's great. More of a confirmation. And I really didn't do anything on the greens until the second round, uh, the round that she shot 62 in, um, until like essentially our eighth hole. She had she had made she had chipped in on 15, which we started on 11. So uh, she chipped in on 15, made one great par putt to save par on 16, missed kind of a makeable birdie putt on 17, but not not one that's not going to make every time. Now, at 18, she had, like, a, her first real, like, six-footer for birdie. Um, and it was the first instance that she said, you know, what do you see on this, essentially? And I was like, all right, you know, check mark, I'm in. Like, here we go. Like, let me, let me see if I can help a little bit. And so we went over the break, and, you know, I gave her what I thought was my line, asked her if she liked that. She did, like, and she hit it right in the middle of the cup. And from then on, it was just, she's going to make everything now. Um, she made, you know, six-and-a-half-footer on 18. She made another one on one, another one on two, another one on three. Missed one that she could have made on four, made one on five, and, you know, by the end of the round, she's eight under par looking at the course record. Um, and so that was kind of really the day that we started to really confer and really really confirm every shot, kind of every putt that she was looking at. Did she call you off ever the way that Max Scherzer calls off a catcher? <laughs> did, you, did, did she ever do that, or did you get the sense that from then on she trusted you and wanted your advice? So, so she is unbreakable inside five feet and i would look at those putts but i would i would never say anything and there were a couple of times that she would just say like i got it and i'd be like 
awesome. You do, you do have it, I know, and I would just step away. Um, but anything outside of like, you know, maybe eight feet, um, I never really got called off, if you will. So luckily, hopefully okay. I was doing something right. Uh, Doug, we're talking with Doug Hurston, who caddied for Rose Young, uh, who won the, the Junior Girls, and he mentioned the score of 62. I want to say that again. She shot a 62. Now, it's not, it's not the official Columbia course record because she didn't do it from the tips, and everybody understands that. It's a different set of tees that she plays. She essentially played the tees that I play. I get to 62 on number 11 or 12, and then I continue playing. 62, Doug, is a remarkable remarkable score did you ever shoot 62 and 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 you're a really good player could you have shot 62 from those tees or do you say to yourself my god this girl's a great player so i will say that uh in a labor day event where i did play with mike um i did shoot and i quote this because it's an unofficial but i did shoot 61 from the white tees <laughs> uh, <laughs> now that is in a labor day event in a little kind of different circumstances because, you know, you're playing with three other guys and not everything really matters. So you may not care as much and you might get some lucky, like, uh, I'm going to make this 10 footer because it doesn't matter. Um, definitely a little less pressure than a USGA event. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think I could go out there in those course conditions with that setup and, and shoot 62 ever. Um, we watching Rose play, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of great golfers and a lot of good players, but the level of consistency that she showed me and she showed, I think, the field is just something I've never seen before in person by anybody. Um, you know, I, I went back through her rounds uh, and match playing it, and through about nine-ish rounds on that course, she was 29 under par. She made four bogeys in the tournament. Um, and I was talking with John Myers, who's the, who was the tournament director at the USGA, and we were kind of like thinking about who was the next closest girl in the tournament. And it might, probably was Bailey Davis at about one or two under for the tournament. Um, and so you can just see the gap and the, 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 the level of play that yeah. she, she shows and brings to competition is just is unparalleled at her age. So I was, I was walking on, on Saturday morning with Marty West. The, I walked 15, 16, 17, and 18, stood with him. Uh, and what he said, and Marty West, the greatest amateur of all time in the area, what he said was he, he, her distance control was phenomenal. She was hitting to 10 to 12 feet all the time, all the time. Wherever you want to be, Doug, on the green, she put it there. Did you have the same sense that Marty did? Yes. You know, she, her misses, to Marty's point, were 20 feet away from the pen, and her normal shots were all inside, all inside 10, 12 feet. Um you know, again, I, I joked that she could have, not even joked, but she could have legitimately shot 59 on her round of 62. She missed three uh, three really makeable birdie putts early. Um, and she probably she probably missed three or four really makeable putts every round. And I think that's just golf, you know. You know, if everyone made every putt, everyone would be shooting in the 60s um, at that level all the time. But, yeah. you know, her, her par or her bad rounds were even par, one under par. She's just, her misses are just so, so small comparatively to even a, a really good golfer or a good golfer. Um, it was just, it was just a sight to behold. It was incredible. So let's get to the really important things. It's, 
about 95 degrees out there and everybody's schwitzing like an Airedale. Uh, and you have more TV time than I've ever seen in my life. Every time I tune on the thing, there's Doug Herson. He's wiping his brow. He's taking off his hat. He's wearing his black socks. Yeah, good he's, towel usage. Yeah, he's, <laughs> around the neck. he's guiding this girl around. She's going to win. It's phenomenal. What was it like? I mean, how many of you boys like texted you or called you or said, what are you doing on television? This is fabulous. Yeah, I got a flurry of texts on Saturday afternoon during the rain delay with pictures like, you know, s screenshots from cell phones on TV. And like, what, what is going on? Like, why, why are you on this, on the Golf Channel? Um, I told my close friends that I'd be caddying. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to jinx anything or, you know, like uh, do anything that would, you know, run, run my karma the wrong way by telling a bunch of people. But my close friends was like, yeah, look, look out on me on Golf Channel. Um, yeah, 95 degree weather for, you know, seven days or whatever it was. I, I did hit the 100 mile mark, uh, with my, my Apple watch. So wow. that was a lot of steps. Yeah. Um, but I think the energy and just the excitement for me was, kept me going just fine. You know, my legs felt good. I was wearing my long black socks because of my Achilles, just so I could have a little bit extra comp compression on my right side. Um, but it was, I would, I would, I would have done it. Back to back again. I would I would go out there and do thirty six again with her any day. You could I would do it every day. It was it was just so enjoyable and watch to watch all that amazing play. Like every single girl in there in that tournament is so good. Um, you know, you talk about all these girls that were in match play who are top one thousand players in the world, and maybe that doesn't sound as impressive to people that don't really play and follow golf as closely as you know you and I and and some others. But to be a top a thousand in world amateur ranking of anything is absolutely incredible and that means you are you mean it means you're the real deal essentially um and so, it's so just a treat. yeah i i just think that years from now you know when you're old you will have whatever you do as a golfer you will have this memory of having caddied in a usga event for the eventual winner and what did michael what did you say that that maybe in a couple of years she turns pro what if she gives you a call and says doug i need you on the bag i want you to be a professional caddy do you do it or you don't do it that is a question i've been asked many times and it's it's seriously something i would have to very like sit down and consider because <clears throat> you know a bunch of people that know women's golf and know you know the lpga have have said to me like you know she is she is going to be a top 10 talent um, you know, if, if this trajectory stays the same and, you know, no aberrations occur in her life, she's going to be, you know, winning LPGA events regularly. Um, and I would, ha yeah, it would be a, it would be a conversation I would have to you know, seriously have, you know, with my wife and my family, but I think it would be one of those opportunities should it occur, you know, knock on wood, um, that would be just one of those things where I, I might have to do it and might have to try it out. Um, I think it would be just an incredible experience at least for some amount of time and hey if she's if she's the real deal then it's gonna be super fun it's uh, much we, we're all so happy for you i mean we just think it's great to have seen you on tv great that you were on that bag and great that uh, that she won thank you doug talk to you thanks everyone bye doug herson in you know a small a small little parcel of fame to call his own through luck, right, Michael? When was the last time you caddied? 
Oh, it's been a few. It's been a few years. But you have a you have a USJ event that went into a rain delay, and he's now part of one of the more memorable walk off moments where where she's sitting there hits the stick. She hits the stick on the last hole. You hear Doug talking her off of a club that would potentially you know bring more holes. You know, we talked about getting to the other side of the tracks and play, and he's sitting there with with the Hal Sutton moment going, "Be right." Be right. And it it bangs off the stick <laughs> and it lands about eight feet away. It's over. Tournament's over right there. That's yeah. phenomenal. You know, so it was really, really wonderful. Um, so we, we devoted the open to that and I'm happy to have done that because I talked about the Junior Girls Tournament for a while on the show. We will be back to doing at least three a week, maybe more uh, for the next month or so. We'll hopefully get in a studio, hopefully get into the WMAL studios soon, which would be nice. Um, I took last week the last... We did the show a couple of times from Rehoboth. We were out there. Had big, a very, big very birthday nice celebration. Yeah. That's right. My birthday is the same as the Hammer's birthday. He got all the balloons. Uh, I wasn't jealous. You got a cake. I got a cake. Elizabeth Elizabeth made him a cake and made me a cake. Did you oh, get a dinosaur cake? But... I did not get a dinosaur oh. cake. I also need to do this from Brian Hoyt. Um, we played the accordion version of the mailbag last week. And That's right. Brian didn't even give his wife's name since she played the accordion. He said, thanks for playing my wife Kelly Vickstrom Hoyt's song a second time. For the second time, you rightfully called me an idiot. If you can read this and save me, I would appreciate it. She also plays with the Northwest Accordionaires Orchestra. So thank you to that. Uh, thank you to Brian for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I went out there. I watched some of it. It was, and I've said this before, and I know, Michael, you felt the same way, to see, and, and then on television, to see the place where you play all the time on television and to hear all these lovely compliments from the people in the Golf Channel or in Peacock the day before talking about Columbia Country Club was really, it, it just looked great. It, it was, you swell with a sort of pride that you don't expect to have. Right? You don't expect and, it. And then you're looking at the coverage and you're picking out, you're like, I, you know, there's Dr. Duke. I see him. He's the medic on right. duty. Sitting with Henry yeah. with Delosier in a cart. Yes. <laughs> in the shade. Yes. Um, it, 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 it just was. I remember the socialite telling me this last year when Woodmon hosted the junior, not the junior, the women's AM. And he said, you see your course on TV, you go out there and you go, wow, this is so great. Like, this is the second time for us. They had the boys junior in 2003, 18 years later at the centennial celebration of Columbia hosting the United States Open. They had this. I don't know if it'll happen again in my lifetime, but it was it was really cool. Right. I mean, I don't know what else you can say. No. And, and, and you look at the, the trajectory that you will expect to see from many of these players. And we're watching the British Open, the Open Championship, and we see Brian Harmon, who is yeah, who near won the it. top of the leaderboard. And you keep going back and you go, this is what you can expect to see from from Bailey, who who was playing for a lot of history on her own and was just the most poised young woman. If you listen to her. Story. Great interview. Great smile. And yes. And with Rose. And you get. These oh, she's going to. You get these small stories where she's having. So the USJ gives the finalist lunch in between the morning and the afternoon round. And she had the same chef who made her lunch at Woodmont a year ago and has the same salmon and, and broccoli lunch. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, and you talked to her dad, right? I, so I did. I had this quiet moment where I went out, I was watching the quarters. So this is pretty early on the 12th tee, which is, you know, you're, you're pretty far back away from the fairway. And I, and I sneak a photo. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to. I sneak a photo of Doug with the USGA placard behind him and Rose, you know, talking over a line. You're looking at the white building in the distance and I get a photo and, and, 
and this this man sort of says to me like she's 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 anxious she needs to eat more she needs to get her strength back and we start talking i go are, are you are you family friends he goes she's my daughter that's so and great. i see this from i know i have two young boys and I, I texted liz immediately saying i can't wait till i can see those two boys lose themselves in anything yeah Anyway, all right. What are you you're looking? You're looking at your phone. What's the matter? Oh, uh, I was getting directions from Sean that I will do in the break. We were okay. just figuring out whether I should do it during the segment or after. The are break. we okay? Or are we not? Yeah, it's just a volume point. adjustment. But I didn't want to hit the wrong knob and then you know okay. knock us off the air. Yeah. Okay. So we will take a break. Uh, Michael Wilbon. When we return, that's the plan. Wilbon. I think is in Chicago at the moment. Yes. Wilbon. When we return, I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the FitBod ad. I don't do it because Nigel subscribes to this. You have FitBod. What is, tell people what it's like. I do. And here's the great thing about FitBod. So for like the last year when I wasn't going to the gym, you know, what kind of exercise am I going to do? I don't have any equipment. What do I do? FitBod will walk you through all these different exercises, with whatever equipment you have, whether it's nothing, whether you have some things, whether you have a full gym. So they will, when you, when you tell them, I have this stuff in my house, they will tailor something for you? Yeah. And it gives you video tutorials as well. So you know exactly what to do do and now that i'm back in the gym i've sort of forgotten everything i need to do it says well this is the stuff you you know work with this equipment work on this muscle group and you know so you you're doing it the right way you're not just going in there blind so it's like it really is like having a personal trainer on your phone so you recommend fitbot absolutely do the cats keep you on track at home (laughs) the cats count my reps yes they do fitbot creates a program (laughs) based on your unique body experience and environment their algorithm uses data and analytics to help you build on your last workout to maximize your results whether you're exercising three days a week or twice a day maniacs every workout is scientifically proven to be better than the last fitbot workouts are balanced to avoid overworking muscles with varied exercises to keep you sharp no equipment as nigel says no worries fitbot has body weight routines for those looking to get fit at home or on the go personalized training can be tough on the budget fitbot is only 9.99 a month or 59.99 a year and if you sign up now you'll get 25 percent off your membership Pick up the pace on your fitness journey with FitBod today, and your future self will thank you. Get 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash Tony. That's 25% off at fitbod.me slash Tony. Use the code, people. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. They call us the rebel kind, cause they don't this is Jim Baznight. Who says, thanks for your continued support. I hope all's well with you and yours. I've attached a couple of more songs for you, and I hope you like them. This is called Rebel Kind. Again, you can hear these songs in their entirety at the end of the podcast. He's playing in Michael Wilbon on this. Wilbon is back from Phoenix on the 2-2-1-1-1, which isn't as much fun as the 2-3-2. <laughs> but on the 2-2-1-1-1, he is back in Chicago now. Um I don't know what to say. I was off for a week. I'm going to have to say something on PTI today. I was wrong. I mean, I appear to be wrong. I thought I thought Phoenix was going to cruise. I've said so, so it's not like I can back away from that. And not only did Milwaukee down 0-2 win the two at home, which they have done. You know, when I think a couple of series so far, they've come back. But they just won the first road game. Uh, and they're up 3-2. to two. That seems to me to be a real big deal, but I'm not following it nearly as closely as you are. What did you think when they won in Phoenix? Well, it is a big deal, Tony. I mean, we, you could see when they won game two in Milwaukee that they could win, period, because of the way they started to play fairly consistently. They stopped doing the stupid stuff 
that right. it led people to say, you people are stupid. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it was, I don't know if I've ever seen a team that reached the finals attacked publicly by people in the basketball industry as much as the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, my in my estimation, they earned it. And they, they've always done certain things well, but then they would just stop doing that. They would just say, nah, we know we won this way. Let's go be, you know, we're, we're sluggers. We're Sonny Liston. We, that's the only way we can beat you. And they would win a game that way or two games that way, and then they would go and they would try to be Ray Leonard. Right. And, and, and you, you're just like, what is going on? And, again, you're, you're watching these games with Hall of Famers, other people who – have been much more successful than this group for a living. Retired people, maybe still active. And so they did this twice in Milwaukee, even though the, 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 the Suns, they gave away a game, Tony, and they may have given away a championship because in game four, the Suns controlled the whole game. They controlled the game. They weren't up by a lot at any point, but they controlled the game. And they, they did something that all year long people have said of the Suns accurately. Um, they don't beat themselves. You have to beat them. They don't beat themselves. And they beat themselves. They committed 17 turnovers. Uh, Chris Paul had five of them. A guy who, as you know, would have like consecutive games with no turnovers. That's right. None, despite incredible defensive pressure whenever series is in. And, you know, look, he's hurt. Uh, he's not going to talk about it. And I, I have complete admiration for Chris Paul for that. He's not going to talk about what his injury is. I don't even know what the specific thing but It's to his hand. Uh, and so, you, you know, you got a big, strong guy like Drew Holiday taking wax at it every few seconds. And he turned the ball over, and he wasn't the only one. The team had 17 turnovers. And they lost the game by essentially a basket, which had, I, I don't know how much you saw it, one of the great defensive plays. Yeah, the, the Antetokounmpo block. It was tremendous yeah. block. It's right it up there with the LeBron block. It's just, They're just yeah, great well, blocks. And more importantly, yeah. we forgot last year, I know it was in a bubble, but it was still a great play. Bam, out of bio block of Jason Tatum. When the yes. ball was like in the cylinder last year. So, you know, yeah, it was from the Bill Russell archives. The play was so great. And that, so that play decided essentially game four. And the Suns should have won. They should have been up far enough that that play wasn't necessary. And then two nights ago, uh, in a truly great game, one of the great offensive performances in NBA Finals history, each team shot like in the mid-50s percent-wise. And the, how about this? The Phoenix Suns playing at home shot 65% from three and lost the game. Wow. One possession. That doesn't happen. One possession. Yeah. Booker, Booker had back-to-back 40s, and they lost them. And so now, you know, they face elimination. Um, they face elimination, and I'm sure the odds are that they will lose. I think the Suns will win game six. I actually do. You do? Okay. Uh, they're facing elimination for the first time in these playoffs. They are behind. They trail a series for the first time since they trailed the Lakers 2-1 in the opening round. Um, and maybe, maybe Chris Paul, he somehow, he somehow, Tony, gathered himself and had 21 and 11 with one turnover, uh, in game, in game five, 21, 11 and no turn and one turnover. Can he rally himself like that again, physically, despite whatever this is? I, I don't, I don't know. It's awfully, this is, 
Yeah. Let, let, let me get to him, and I know you're, you're close with him, and we all sort of understand that. He doesn't have that many years left to win a championship. It's not no, like Antetokounmpo. No, no. Antetokounmpo's got 10 years left to win a championship. Well, how so, old do you think he is? Well, but I'm, I'm just saying that 27. He's got in, terms, <laughs> in terms of the pressure to win a championship when you're Chris Paul and you'd never gotten there before, this is your opportunity. He yeah. played great. He's played great throughout the playoffs. If they lose, what does that do to him? It, 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 you know, he agonizes. I know how much he wants to win. I know how much he wants to win. I knew before this season. And coming close again, you know, what, is it, what does it do to Louis Oosthuizen? You know, I mean, what does it do? Louis Oosthuizen now looks like a guy who you would say he can't close, he can't win all these right. seconds and thirds. It's not like yeah. Jack Nicholas who had 18 firsts. Right. Louis got one yeah. first, and the well, last three times we've seen him, he's gagged. Is, well, is that you know this? This wouldn't be a gag, right? Um, if somebody told you coming into the season that the Phoenix Suns, no, you I did laugh. They were good, and you didn't even accept that. Yeah, that you're right. No, you're right. And so, but it's and, and it's the opportunity. To do that. It's the opportunity, and it's being up two zero in the finals. Yeah, yeah. And yep. it's looking like you had control of the series. Again, Yes. You're playing, the, look, the best player on the court is Giannis Antetokounmpo, okay? The second best player on the court is it, it, it's probably Devin Booker, but it could be Middleton in that, look, they're waiting on, the, the irony, too, is the United States of America is waiting on Booker and, and, uh, and, and uh, Middleton. Andrew Holliday to kind of come and bail him out of the Olympics. And so you've got these great players out there, Tony, and if you say, well, who's the best team? And in basketball, the team with the best player is the team that is expected to win. And because Milwaukee had failed twice in a row, people looked elsewhere. And, you know, it's, it, the best team is probably Miami. I'm sorry, probably is Milwaukee. But, uh, you know, I mean, they, they're in a precarious spot right now, Phoenix. Let's uh, let me get you've been slamming uh, Budenholz uh, for yeah. a, a while now, as other people have. He's now one win away from a title, and there's 28 other coaches in the league that would give anything to be one way one win away from the title. I don't say Monty Williams, you know, he's he's in there too. But were you, were others, have you been overly critical of Budenholz, or do you want to walk back any of it? No, no, I I was at least. I tried to justify my criticism. Other people have, too. Because, um, Tony, the people doing this for not just our network, but other networks, these are, these are Hall of Fame people. Yeah. These are people with multiple rings. These are guys who have coached and played at the highest level. And they watch the games. You can watch them watch the games. You don't even need to hear them say anything. You can watch them watch the playoffs since May 16, May 22, when they began. And you watch them, and they, they look at Milwaukee in agony sometimes. So, no. But he, there are things that he clearly, Budenholzer, does well, like prepare a team in an overall way to get ready for a season, a series, a game. But what happens in game is what others in the industry find kind of indefensible. It's what they attack. And so, no, I'm not, I'm not, you can't justify keeping Bobby Portis on the bench for three consecutive games late in a series as well as he's played. 
Here's a guy, Tony, in an entire series who shot like 59%. He defends. He hustles. He plays with energy. His teammates love him. The fans love him. And Budenholzer, with Kevin Durant turning in two of the great playoff games of all time, he didn't even play Bobby Portis, who's 6'10". Didn't play him a second. And you just go, <laughs> what? what is this? There's no justification I, for that. That's so interesting to win. me. That's so interesting to me because I sit there, honestly, and, and I look at the Nats, and when Andrew Stevenson isn't in the game, when he's healthy and he isn't in the game, I go, what, what are you doing? I, I think to myself, Davey Martinez, what are you doing? He's better than the guy you've got out there. He hits better. He makes more contributions. What are you doing? You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, can't, I can't get in Budenholzer's head, but every once in a while, don't you look at a coach or a manager and go, what are you doing? Why aren't you playing this guy? Right? Well, I mean, you, you can. here's the thing, Tony. You can say that on a night. All right, or you could say that right. about one, you know, a, a specific area of decision making. Tony, when you ha he didn't play him games five, six, and seven. That's just, it's hard to understand. It, 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 you know, it's just unless like, he what? hates him. He Maybe doesn't he hates talk. Him. <laughs> he, no, and he doesn't. He's played him ever since. He played him like I don't know. The other night, he had the, he was like the first guy on the bench. No. And, you know, there's just there's and there's a litany of things like this. Again, you're watching these games not by yourself. Because by yourself, you can watch, you go, i got to just be wrong. And in my case, I turn to two guys who I've watched the series with every game, sitting between them. And I can say to Avery Johnson or Isaiah Thomas, hey, am I wrong or? And they just, they just look at me like, are you wrong? What, what, are you, what are you talking about here? And I don't, I don't mean to just single them out like they are. I'm, Kendrick Perkins, who works for our network, he said that this is the dumbest team in the history yeah. of the NBA Finals. And, 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 Tony, no one rushed to say, hey, Kendrick, that's hyperbole. No one well, but that, that's also say, his style. He, I mean, I've watched him he a does, lot. He, yeah, he, yeah, he likes to Tony, do that. Tony, it's not just him. What I'm telling mm -hmm. you is it's dozens of people. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was asked by Rachel Nichols on the eve of the Finals, Kareem. You love this team. You love these players. Kareem said, yes, I love Kumpo and Middleton. And he went down the roster. And Kareem is very familiar. Kareem is sitting next to Oscar Robertson. How, how cool is that to walk into an arena and see? To see Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sitting next to Oscar. And a few people away is Bobby Dandridge. Okay, seriously, if you care about the Milwaukee Bucks, there's no sight better that, than that. Hundred okay. percent. That's and, their only championship Kareem, ever. Yes, only championship. Yes. She said to Kareem yes. in their last finals, Kareem, can you see this team then? Since you love them so much, winning the championship. This is on the eve of the championship, and Kareem goes, one a one word answer. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so okay, well. so like, so you you get you like I said, Tony, <laughs> you can say whatever you want about any individual person who's saying, oh, my God, they are so talented but so inadequate, about any individual you want. But it's a, it's a, it's a chorus that is almost unanimous. And he yeah. clearly must do some things well because they are here. Um, again, I, I think the Suns will actually win tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is game six. But it looks all the world like 
like the Milwaukee Bucks were on the verge of having a parade. All right, I'm not going to let you get out of here without uh, talking about the Open because I know you watched it, and I watched it too. And I also know that you have liked Morikawa for a couple of years now since you saw him win in San Francisco, win the PGA. Um, what did you What did you think of the way he played, the way Louis played, the way Spieth played, and and all of it? Um, you know, I, you know, I didn't find the tournament. I, I didn't find the four days themselves as compelling as some other days. And there was nothing like. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was a drama. It didn't have a dramatic finish to it necessarily. I guess once um, Morikawa made that putt on sixteen or fifteen. Fifteen, the par save putt. Yeah, the, the par save. Once yeah, he made yeah. that, you know, and I, I and Tony, I could not watch live yesterday because I was flying. I was flying across the country, right. and so I landed, you know, and 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 he was putting out to to win. But I did watch it all, um, you know, later on. You know, everything is replayed to death in golf now, and I watched like the whole round, and and it was more was He's amazing. He's amazing. I love him. Yes, I, and and Tony. Yes, he plays with his talent. Not the longest guy, but apparently he's one of the great you know, ball strikers with an iron in the game now, if not in the last few years. And he's not Rory, and he's not Speed in terms of you know being called a genius and this and that. It's from the age of twenty one, he's twenty four. Well, he's pretty love young to have two. He's he's got I two. And not a, I will I will say this: I watched the ceremony afterwards. Yeah. His composure, his joy, yeah, that's what I'm his about. speech, that yes. was fabulous. He it's was Tony, fabulous. Tony, all you can do is nod every time he opens his mouth. It's terrific. He, he terrific. Has got a balance and a graciousness about him. Absolutely. He, Tony, that is just intellect. He's smarter than the other bears. <laughs> I, I you loved know. him. I love him. I, 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 I can't say enough. You know, and especially coming off a week where you have DeChambeau, who, who you hate. just, I mean, who I, who I, I do. Right. And, and DeChambeau, no. <laughs> let me ask you this. Was any, anybody right. earlier on DeChambeau being a fool than me? No, you ha- I understand you hate him. It's okay. <laughs> but it's I'm not good with that it. I hate him. Again, it's like booed. It, I told you that people hate him in the industry, in his own sport. And then he comes out and he does what he does. And his own club manufacturer has to say, you're an idiot. Shut up. You're an idiot. Seriously. I mean, when has this ever happened? And so DeChambeau, who is is more famous than Morikawa, he's won one major. But he is good for golf. I don't argue that about DeChambeau. He is good for the game. And he's a a fool. And he is, there's a a word, two, two words that describe what he appears to be. And Eric Rideholm, our dear producer, would say, okay, let's try to describe his behavior and not describe him. Okay, his behavior seems to make him that thing that people use to talk about people in the, just the lowest term, lowest form. And then you hear Morikawa, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. guy understands how to conduct himself. He understands what he's doing, his responsibility to be a professional – all of it, everything, and oh, by the way, he can make some par putts and birdie putts. So and, I, and I agree with that. Save. I mean, I was so impressed. I had him right in the McElroy Spieth category after that. You know that acceptance. I, I loved him. Just loved him, and I love them. I, I, I love them. I, I love them, but he's to me, he's 
some, and, and, and by the way, Rory and Spieth are obviously smart, accomplished young men, too. They're still, I mean, how about the fact that Rory hasn't won a major and now going on there's eight something, seasons? There's something wrong. There, I mean, there's it's something like, wrong there. Well, Tony, I, I don't. I don't know. This is like talking about Chris Paul, who did not have the beginning of his career. You know, when we look back and we put Chris Paul into perspective again, because that's going to happen, Chris Paul was denied a chance by the commissioner of the NBA to, in his young prime, play with play without Kobe Bryant, who he was traded to play with. Yeah, the Los that was terrible. Lakers and the New Orleans Pelicans, remember, they traded Chris Paul to play with the Lakers yeah, it was terrible. So it was barred by Stern. In 10, 11, 12, back in there, you know, Chris Paul would have been a Laker. And yeah. he was denied that. No, so, so, so now, like, I'm not going to say Louis Usaisen choked because he was one over. I understand that he did not have the best round. Well, but, but it's a pattern. The last two times we've it, seen it, him with a chance to win, he's put a drive in the water late. There's just no, there's no yeah, water yeah. At, at Royal St. George's. And, and, and I mean, no. this, is, this is now an obvious pattern. We all wish that he breaks the pattern. We all wish he wins. But I wouldn't yeah, bet on him. I, but I think there's some harshness that all of this carries that doesn't need to be visited necessarily. Um, and so... You know, but Morikawa, I don't know, maybe he winds up with two. Right now he's got as many as Greg Norman, who was so famous, you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> Two's a lot. Two's a lot. Two's a, a lot of guys don't have two. Two's a lot. And so, I, you know, he was, it was, it, he, he was extraordinary to watch in an understated way. And nothing's understated anymore. People yeah, have to say stupid stuff on the Thursday, on the Friday, like, I hate my driver. My driver sucks. People that are paying you a mil- millions of dollars, and you have to everything has to be overstated. And so, every time DeChambeau hits a ball in the rough, I'm ecstatic. I know. I want to. I, I want to throw a party every time he misses a putt. And I know my reaction is over the top. I get that. But when compared to a guy like this, he looks like just a, the village idiot. That's a nicer word than the other two you were going to yeah, use. I'll talk to you uh, later. I'll talk to right, you later. Joe. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. We'll be back on PTI together today. I've been off for a week. Um, We'll take a break. Steve Sands, who uh, wasn't actually physically there, but watched it with intent and intensity. We'll get to Sands when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Seat Geek ad. We haven't done this in a long time. And I said to Nigel when he said we're doing a Seat Geek ad, I said, are they back with us? And your reaction was? Well, yeah, things are opening up again. Concerts are out there. And, uh, you know. I, it, it, it didn't occur to me. I just figured they dumped us. No, I just had my onboarding call with them. They're excited to be back. They've been one of the original uh, supporters of our show. Yes. yes. So yeah, this is good. So you you both have these. I don't have apps. I have I the app. Yes. I explain that to them. I have the app you normally toss to me. And here I say, I'm currently looking at tickets for the upcoming uh, NAD series. Maybe I'll see the Phillies in town soon. So you so everything's back on. And so SeatGeek is back in business. I think they never. Yeah. Yes. You yes. know, I'm not saying they ever left, but. Right, but without you know you know performances of concerts or, or, yeah, or we large weren't leaving events. Uncle Benny's table for a year. <laughs> no, so so I understand that. Yeah. So it's good, it's good, and you both have it. Yes, SeatGeek makes buying tickets super simple. A quick look at the App Store shows over fifty thousand five star reviews. It's a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, then it rates each deal on a scale of one to ten. 
Finally, SeatGeek displays them on an interactive seat map. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. Every ticket on SeatGeek is backed by their buyer guarantee, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. You know the seating arrangements oh, at, yeah. at the Nats Park. Yes, yes. Do you, do you tend to believe that their seat, that they know what they're doing? And it doing? all comes down to you. Some days you might say, you know what, it's okay to splurge for that for that red dot deal if that's really the section that I want, or say it's it's in the shade and it's an afternoon game and I got two little ones. You don't want to be on the first base side in the afternoon? Not for don't one of these hot that. games, nope. no. Don't worry, we've got the hookup. Use code TONY for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code TONY. Visit www.seatgeek.com or download the SeatGeek app today. Use the code TONY for $20 off your first SeatGeek order. www.seatgeek.com. Use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Jim Baz Night. This is called Middle of the Night. These were released just a few weeks ago in the middle of June. They've received a startling good reception from the first few radio station shows and widely heard podcasts have played it. And he thanks us for everything that we're doing for musicians. Michael, if people like Jim Baznight want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. And once again, you can listen to all of this in its entirety at the end of the show. Steve Sands joins us. My only, you know, I, the obvious question for Sands, and the, the jumping off point, is, you know, did Morikawa win it on Sunday or did Spieth lose it on Saturday? But rather than ask that right off the bat, I'll ask the question that interests me more, which is... You were doing this from the Royal Hartford Country Club, uh, you know, and it was started to be on at four in the morning. What time did you get up to go to work? What time did you go to bed to get up to go to work? What was your life like being on the, you know, the pre-dawn um, telecast? I could have really used a heated toilet seat last week. It would really, really have helped the week. Uh, Royal Stamford, by the way. Let's not confuse Royal, Royal Stamford. I'm sorry. It's Royal sorry. Hartford. Royal Hartford. A lot different than Royal Stamford. Yeah. Um, the alarm went off, you know, anywhere between 3.15 and 3.45 a.m. Um, I felt like I should be walking Chessie. <laughs> yeah, day. Uh, I was waking up so early. Uh, there's no way to simulate going to bed that early. I, I can't go to bed at seven or eight o'clock at night. That's, right. that's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, you just kind of did your thing. It wasn't. It was. It was very bizarre uh, to not be there. It was bizarre to be in a studio. It was <laughs> by far the best food and hotel accommodations we've ever had at an Open Championship um, because. You know, over there, the hotels and the food aren't great. But in Stanford, it was great. And uh, it was good to be with the team, but it was very odd uh, to have those kind of hours uh, and not be on site and feel the energy. So, But hopefully everybody enjoyed the Open, and hopefully we didn't make too many mistakes um, you know, doing it that way. So this is the other, the other question is, are you dependent on – is it the feed that you would normally get, or is it a feed from – uh, British technicians, are you behind by five or six seconds? Do you, you know what I mean? When you're calling yep. it, what are you seeing? Explain that to people. So there's two things. It's called the world feed. 
world, meaning the whole entire globe, gets this one feed from the Open Championship, uh, kind of like the Olympics when we're going in a couple of days. Uh, there's a world feed, and then there's the NBC feed, um, the NBC Golf Channel feed. And we took the world feed because we weren't allowed to have all of our camera guys and all of our technicians and all of our trucks and everybody over there. So the pictures were a lot different uh, than we would have had. And I've talked to you before, and you've met him, Tony, Joe Morton, who is a massive uh, show listener, a massive little uh, he and his wife, Holly McClure, both work on the NBC Golf Channel yes, crew. met them. He, direct, yep. he directed it last week, and he directed it from Stanford, Connecticut. And there's not a delay, um, per se, but Joe and Tommy Roy and all the people in the truck in Stanford had to first listen to the World Feed people to see where they were going, and then they would have to take that and then we would have to do it uh, as announcers after being told where we're going. So it was a little bit of a delay as far as how fast we were moving along, how many shots we'd show, how many people we'd show. But they had, you know, Joe and those guys did a wonderful job. They just didn't have any control over what the pictures were. And, you know, for them, that's what they do. That's why they're so great. Uh, and that's why the American audience enjoys watching uh, our product so much. Uh, whether it's CBS, whether it's us, it doesn't matter which week. It's, it's that they control it, and they didn't get to control it because they had to take the world feed. And the world feed does television a lot differently than what the American audience is used to. So it was a little different, uh, but the delay was very, very minimal, which was amazing. Uh, I don't know how that worked technologically, but the guys did a great job. Uh, they did the best they could, and hopefully we never have to do it like this ever again. So the interesting thing, if you're a viewer and you may not realize this, if, if you're a viewer in the United States of a baseball game and you're getting the feed from your local announcers, you know you're going to go to a replay on that error. That's coming up in two seconds, replay on yep. that error. If you have the world feed on golf, you can't say we're going to replay. We don't know. You don't, right, Steve? You don't know what they're going to physically show, and you might want to make the point, let's see it again, and you may not have it again, correct? No, you get the kid eating cotton candy. Right. Correct. We, we, we would always have what's called replay sequences. We'd have all kinds of things that we normally do that we were not allowed to do. Uh, because we weren't over yeah. there. And also, yeah. we didn't have the ability to do it because they don't do it that way. They yeah. go much slower. Um, not that that's a bad thing. They just do it differently. They don't show all of the players who were involved. They don't show this sequence, that sequence. And, you know, I, I think our guys did a great job uh, doing the best they could and not losing their minds. Uh, but it had to be a very difficult week for them. And the truck for us as announcers, you know, I know I was calling – you know, like I, I, like I told you guys last week, I had four, nine, fourteen, and seventeen. And right. sometimes they would they would just show hypothetically show Ricky Fowler, and you wouldn't know what hole it was because they hadn't said what hole it was. Normally, our guys would say Fowler fourteen second shot, and then you would have to go and say whatever you wanted to say. But with this particular setup, our guys didn't even know what hole they were on because sometimes they didn't communicate it. Yeah. Sometimes they wouldn't even say what the player was, who the player was. And it was uh, it was frustrating at times uh, for them. Uh, but you know, hopefully it worked. It looked the same because we had our own, we put our own graphics in. We had our own music in. 
Uh, we could go to break when we wanted to go to break. Uh, but, you know, it was just not not the same, Tony. And, and, and I think that the American audience probably could tell a little bit. Uh, but, you know, hopefully not. And hopefully uh, it was a great winter and it was a good week. But and nothing yeah. crazy, crazy bad happened TV-wise. So hopefully everybody got through it okay. Yeah, and it was a competitive tournament every step of the way. There was not yeah. one leader out there by seven shots. It was always competitive. And so it... it brought people in to watch and now i will get to you know the number one question which is did morikawa win it on sunday which we know he did or did spieth lose it on saturday in your mind which was more important because spieth did say in the interview afterwards he said you know look what i he said it was uh the way i finished yesterday if i finish par par i'm in the final group and then i've got a chance Uh, that's what he said so what what is your answer to the question I agree with Jordan that he lost it on Saturday, that he did not give himself as much of a chance as he should have on Sunday because of the way he finished bogey-bogey on 17 and 18 on Saturday. However, Kyle Morikawa won the Open Championship. He was the best player all week, all four days, and he absolutely grabbed the Clara jug with one hand and then put his second hand on it on the back nine and went out and won it. I don't think anybody lost uh, yesterday, I think Louis Oosthuizen again had a chance to win, uh, did not. But if he would have played well, would he have beaten Kyle Morikawa? I don't know. Kyle Morikawa was the best player over the four days, and I know what Jordan is saying. He didn't give himself as much of a chance as he would have had uh, if he would have finished better on Saturday uh, for a Sunday run and another Claire Jug. But Kyle Morikawa won that, just like John Rahm won the U.S. Open. Nobody lost it. I think Morikawa won yesterday. Uh, I don't think anybody went out and lost it. Morikawa didn't have a bogey on his last 31 holes. He made a great birdie down a hill on 14 and a great par save out of the schmutz in 15. And at that point, it's it's over, right? I mean, you see him make these two great plays, and you say, okay, it's done, right, by 15. Tony, he's like 124th ranked best putter uh, on the PGA Tour. He's in the 100s in putting. And he was number one last week. He made yeah, some yeah. phenomenal up and downs. He made some phenomenal clutch putts. And, you know, Tiger and all these guys have told me for years, it's not the birdies and the eagles that keep you going and, and get you to the top of a leaderboard and make you stay there. It's the par saves. When he gets himself up and down from places where he shouldn't, um, that's where Tiger used to say he'd win tournaments. And if you watched yesterday, Yes, Morikawa made some great birdies, and he did not make a bogey for as many holes as you said. 31. It's those par yeah. saves, Tony. 31 holes. He did the same thing at Harding Park with the PGA Championship. And this time he did it in front of fans, and he didn't have fans in San Francisco. So now he's done it both ways. You can't say there's an asterisk there somewhere. Um, this was a legitimate, phenomenal, spectacular performance by a 24-year-old who has promise. Uh, that we haven't seen in quite some time. You know, he's just done something that no one in the history of the sport has done in the modern era, winning a major championship a first time. He did that at the PGA, and now he did it again. No one's yeah, ever done that. twice. No one. Yeah, no, and I agree. His, his putting was spectacular. His iron play is the best in the world uh, by far right now, and uh, he's proving it. He is a spectacular, spectacular talent, and... It's an overword used in sports, but those those 
holes you talked about coming down the stretch yesterday, he was great. I mean, great. He was so great yesterday. I no, I agree with that. And this question is, you know, it is the obvious, the other obvious question. In your mind, Spieth could have won or should have won in your mind? Could have. I think Colin okay. Morikawa was the better player. I, I don't think Jordan is quite crisp enough. I don't think he's quite back to where he was. Now, what he is, the, the interesting thing about Morikawa, I'm, I'm fast. I'm not a TV ratings guy. I never have it. You and I have talked about this before. Um, but I'm fascinated to see what the ratings are yesterday because of Spieth. Because he was the guy making the charge. Spieth is our Sebi Ballesteros. He's exciting to watch. He hits the ball everywhere. He's talking to himself. He's all over the place. Morikawa is more of a machine. He just goes. He just, you know, he, he never hits the ball offline. He, he doesn't really, you know, say a lot. And he's stealth, kind of an assassin out there. Wonderful kid, very smart. Um, American, you know, the American audience is going to love him forever. Uh, but Spieth is like, you know, exciting to watch man he's all over the place and with those two going at it yesterday i'm curious to see what the audience was because i want to know if morikawa can carry an audience if we have a star in the making in that regard or were the ratings going to be high because of speed and i think it'll be cool to see what that is and, and over the course of the next 10 20 years how great uh, morikawa becomes is you know, it'll be interesting to see if the audience kind of gravitates to him like they did to Jordan Spieth. But Spieth, Spieth didn't lose that Open Championship. Uh, Morikawa went out and won it. That was that was an amazing I performance. I agree, and we now have, um, relatively speaking, young young Americans with multiple majors. We have Morikawa yeah. and Spieth. And Dustin Johnson has multiple majors. Justin Thomas and DeChambeau only have one. Kepka has multiple majors. These are all these guys. I think are under thirty-five. Although Dustin Johnson may not be, I'm not certain about that. But that that's the race to the top, right? In terms of American players, no question. Um, and and winning your second one, not easy. You know, there are only four big of them deal. a year. Uh, it's such a big deal. You, you mentioned Justin Thomas. He's he has one, and that came four right. years ago. All right, yeah. DeChambeau has one. One. Uh, and that yeah. came last year. Um, Jason Day, who's Australian, he won one in 2015, and everybody thought, oh, here we go with Jason. He's still stuck at one. These things are so hard to win because, and I remember Jack Nichols telling me this years and years ago, you don't find your game at majors. You bring your game to majors. So they only happen four times a year. If you're not playing well or, you're, or your head's not right going into a major, you're most likely not going to win one. Uh, you know, a couple of times here and there, you find somebody winning one out of nowhere. But for the most part, you are playing really well leading up to the majors. So the timing has to be perfect. And obviously, you can't control that. If your game's there, it's there. If it's not there, it's not there. And Morikawa is such a good player, Tony. Now, we don't have a major championship again until the Masters in April. Uh, right. This is only July. So you never know how someone's going to play. But winning two... In your first ever visit to those two majors, that's a first time ever. He's only 24 years of age. He's the quickest to win two majors uh, before anybody in just eight starts in major championships. He's won two of them. I mean, this kid is well on his way. If he stays motivated and stays healthy, 
uh, this kid's got a lot of game. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. We appreciate it as always. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Tony. We'll talk to you from Tokyo, heading there next weekend. Enjoy yourself. Well, yeah, we'll have that conversation. Steve Sands, boys <laughs> and girls. Um, we will take a break. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the policy genius said. There's no better time than now to apply for life insurance because it's not just temperatures that are rising. Life insurance rates can go up each year you wait to buy. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent such as myself, or even a business partner, you need life insurance to properly provide for their families. Most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their employer. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. You can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year. Who couldn't use that on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies? Getting started is easy. Head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. My thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren for that. And my thanks to the birds for inspiring that particular thing. <laughs> Nigel, the Bethesda Bagel ad is all yours. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. Uh, we're at the end of the show. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say in the words of John Sebastian, do you believe in magic in a young girl's heart, how the music can free her whenever it starts? And it's magic if the music is groovy and makes you feel happy like an old-time movie. I'll tell you about the magic. It'll free your soul, but it's like trying to tell a stranger about rock and roll. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon, Steve Sands, Doug Herson, getting a big run on television. <laughs> Thanks as well to today's sponsors, FitBod, SeatGeek, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. If you get the show, if you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. From Bill Finneran, thanks for the reminders about the U.S. girls at Columbia Country Club. I went and I stayed about five hours. The girls are amazing golfers for any age and way better than this hacker has ever been. <laughs> this morning in the round of 32, I bounced around watching a few different matches, had lunch at the 8th Hole Snack Shop. And I had parenthetically with George and Z. The women behind the counter uh, were very friendly. Where was George if it was just women? I had a ham and cheese sandwich and a Coke that all hit the spot. Oh, then I did made you get like, it griddled? Yeah. I have to get the ham and cheese griddled. Yeah. Then I made, speaking of which, we have to use that panini press. Speaking of which, ham and cheese. Uh, then I made my, my way back towards the clubhouse. I watched Bailey Davis from White Plains, Maryland close out her morning match. For the afternoon round of 16, my goal was to catch Rose Young front nine until I had 
enough time in the heat. Spent some time at the practice range watching Rose's opponent, Amari Avery, warm up. I got to the first tee 10 minutes before the tee time, sat in the shade 10 feet from it. I was able to hear the girls greet each other, sounded like they'd never met before. The two dads were also standing right next to me, and I got the attached photo while they were both still smiling. After five holes with Rose one up, I went back to the eighth hole snack place for a hot dog and a Coke. Watched the end of the seventh hole plus the eighth. Rose was up two at that point. I don't think both dads were smiling anymore. Your club looks like a great course. I would not want to play it every day. Once in a while would be enough. For now, we'll stick to the public and private, the public and public access tracks within an hour at Chevy Chase. You can play it every day. Play it every day, believe me. Uh, from Raymond Chu Wing in Waltham, Massachusetts. This is my third attempt to get my email read on the air. I'm close to adopting the Andy Dufresne strategy of writing a letter a week. You can't ignore me forever. Andy Dufresne, Andy rather. Dufresne, right. Dufresne. I'm writing to express my gratitude for a hotel recommendation you once made. When talking about Cooperstown, New York, and the Baseball Hall of Fame, you'd always gush about the Otisaga Hotel. I saved the information in an email and sent it to myself when I finally made the pilgrimage. Two weekends ago, I took my family on a road trip with a stop in Cooperstown to visit the hall, then on to Buffalo for a Blue Jays home game. Toronto is my birth city. A visit to Niagara Falls, then back to Cooperstown where he stayed at the Otisaga for a night. I fully expected a two-bathroom type situation and you did not disappoint. My eldest daughter is about Bootsy's age. Of all the things we didn't plan, her favorite by far was the outdoor pool at the hotel. It's a great hotel, right, Mike? They have a great tea ceremony. You have to get the Tom Turkey dinner. Yeah. It's, it's no Mohican Motel just down the road. Oh, the Mohican, where I stayed when I was really young. <laughs> uh, Mark in Camby, Indiana. Can I take the Purple Line to the girls' USGA? <laughs> purple Line's not going anywhere, pal. And, in fact, it's covered with bunting, and we don't have to look at it, I'm grateful <laughs> to say. From Ryan Kelleher, U.S. 7th Fleet Staff. And he's a sailor. I'm an intelligence specialist in the Navy, currently stationed in Japan with my wife and two daughters. I've listened to the show since the days of radio. Remember radio? Crazy. Anyhow, I wanted to thank you and the gang for doing this show for so many years. I can't begin to count the many episodes I've downloaded to listen to on deployment, some lasting well over nine months. Each of those episodes was a semi-daily escape of the grind of deployment and often an integral part of maintaining my sanity. Prior to Japan, I'd been stationed in Quantico. Virginia. So for at least three years, I understood your DMV hometown rants and often agreed with them. However, three years was apparently too long for me to wait to visit Chatter. Oh, well. But if you guys find that you do any more medium Chatter t-shirts, I'd be happy to take them off your hands. If we find them, I don't think we will. I'm also a graduate of East Carolina University with a degree in communications, concentration in print journalism, minoring in sports studies. Well, I've basically done nothing with this degree. Your career would have been the standard for me to aspire to, should I have actually gone into the field, that is. Even so, now I simply listen with joy as you recall your days as a writer. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I missed that boat. Yeah, but you're on the boat you're on. You're on a better boat. From Will Theodore in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm only 22 years old. I've been watching PTI for about as long as I can remember. And I've been listening to your podcast religiously for about two months. Well, I wouldn't call yes. that religiously for two months. <laughs> That's a bit much. You and Wilbon continuously make me laugh through some rough patches in my life. Your jokes at the beginning of the show never failed to put a smile on my face. Written by Eric Rideau, mostly. Also, I know I'm speaking for general fans of the show. Please tell Wilbon not to take up the majority of each segment every time leaving you with just seconds to say your piece. <laughs> Drives me crazy. I'm sure you feel the same. Nonetheless, love to you both. Anyway, for the younger listeners uh, like myself, I'm confused as to what a David Aldrich moment is. I know it was probably before my time. Yeah, let me just explain this. Um, I understand that I'm on television. I understand that many of my friends are on television. But I'm always thrilled when I see my friends on television. <laughs> like yesterday when Ron Darling was doing the Nats game, and I texted him 20 times 
during the game because it's Ron Darling's on television. So the David Aldrich moment just refers to the notion that I once saw David Aldrich on TV. I went, oh, it's David. It's on TV. It's a great moment. Uh, From Chris Bansells in Forest Hill, Maryland. I was catching up on the last few shows while driving home from vacation. I've been a little since the podcast started, but I never had a David Aldrich moment. Last Tuesday, I got it three times. When you started talking about the BMW Media Day, you mentioned John Maroon. I yelled out to the two kids in my car, I know that guy. My dad was a trainer for the Baltimore Orioles organization for 40 plus years. So when I was in middle school, I knew John as the O's PR director. And he was a big reason why I became interested in journalism and media. And now you know my second David Aldrich moment. I've known Cal Ripken Jr. my entire life. He and my dad started on the same day in Bluefield, West Virginia for the Bluefield Orioles. When I was a kid, I never realized I was in the presence of history. He was just my dad's friend. He was unfailingly kind to me and my family, and now my younger brother works for his foundation. You mentioned that you were struck by his intelligence. You're 100% right. When I became old enough to appreciate it, I was awed by his relentless curiosity. He applied it to learning about opposing pitchers just as much as he did to history or politics or really anything that caught his interest. More than that, though, was his earnest interest in whoever he was talking to. Even when I was five or six years old, he would talk to me like a person, not some kid to be dismissed. That's an attitude I tried to emulate to this day. And then you mentioned Jim Palmer and I yelled, I know him too. To which my 15-year-old daughter sighed and said, now you're just bragging. <laughs> this, is, this is a wonderful, wonderful email from John Lyle, Alexandria, Virginia. I bought the stove. I used the code. Now what? <laughs> like from it. Eric Henning, the Wizard of Washington, live interactive entertainment for discerning audiences. Dear Grandpa Hofwaff, we littles will keep paying Comcast to tear up your neighborhood until you go back to the studio. Don't make us park beat-up cars on your street. (laughs) From John Peltz, I would like to host Tony my treat for an exclusive Peter Asher concert in Chicago. We can invite Nigel and make a big night of it. (laughs) On Saturday, October 23rd in Mauer Hall, or Maurer Hall, Peter Asher, a musical memoir of the 60s and beyond. Peter Asher returns with his multimedia concert experience, a musical memoir of the 60s and beyond, hosted by the two-time Grammy-winning producer himself, featuring an evening of hit songs, exclusive film footage and photos, and lots of behind-the-scene storytelling from the man who was front and center at the 60s zeitgeist. Don't you think we should be invited to that? Well, Don't you think Peter Asher, he's not listening, of course. You're a friend. Yeah, you're pals. And one more from Sheets in New York City. I, too, have a BMW, an X2, actually, and as a fellow BMW owner, I wanted to offer you some advice upon hearing about your computer warning issues. Simply lean on the horn and shout, customer service, into the screen, and help should be on its way. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. If I wish one of your guys had children, if I could kick them in the f- head or stomp on their testicles so you could feel my pain, because that's the pain I have, waking up every day.
Yeah. 